My name is Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here. If you are visiting here, especially, I want to welcome you. Say thanks for visiting here with us. Thanks for for gathering today. It is some odd circumstances that we gather under. Um, Thanks for making the effort to be here. Thanks for coming to worship Jesus. We are grateful that you gather together. We have been in the book of John over the last many months, and we're going to be continuing in our series in the book of John. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, we'll be reading the entire passage this morning. Um, If you are um, a child, um, there are coloring sheets and some crosswords and things like that in the back. If if you would like one um, and you don't have one, uh, I think we probably can get a couple ushers to get some for you. So if you don't have coloring sheets or an activity and your kid in the room, can you just, kids, raise your hand if you want one or need one? Okay. We have one in the back. Excellent. I'm going to usher you to get them a packet, a coloring packet. That would be great. Um, Thank you, kids, for being here. We are grateful that you are here and participating together in worship. Um, Thank you for how you are helping um, mom and dad be able to focus on the message. And thank you for listening as well yourselves to God's word. We believe that that God has you here for a divine purpose, not just because of COVID, but he has you here for a reason. So thanks for being a part of our body. You are important and we're grateful for you as well, kids. So thanks for being here. Um, Everybody turn your Bibles to John chapter 9. We'll read God's holy inspired word together today. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It's he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, how had he received his sight? And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and and I washed, and, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who'd received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? 
His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. So the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man's a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world has began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? Do you believe? Oh, sorry. Uh, And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. God, thank you that you give passages like this to us in your word to help us see. God, I pray that you would enable us to see who your son is, to see Jesus, to see our need for Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would open up blind eyes this morning, that you would help us see our need for you, that you would help us see you, Jesus, for who you are, and that, Jesus, you would enable us to respond to you, that we rejoice in the sight that we have. Holy Spirit, we need you to hear. We need you to open up our ears. We need you to open up our minds. We need to open up our eyes. We need you to be able to understand your word. And, And I pray that you would fill me with your spirit and fill everyone here with your spirit now so we might understand your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you to do something for me right at the beginning. Um, we, we, we don't do these kinds of things very often, so um, w- when I do, I'm going to ask you to keep your hands to yourself. I know it sounds weird, right? Um, I, I want you to take a moment and just close your eyes. I'll keep my eyes open to watch to make sure nobody does anything weird, right? So um, just close your eyes for a moment. Just everybody take a second and close your eyes right now. Close your eyes. Now take your hands and put them over your eyes. Go ahead and put your hands over your eyes. 
Close them as tightly as you can. Put your hand over your eyes. Now, I want you to tell me, you can go ahead and shout out. This is participation time. What can you see? Nothing. What colors do you see? What shapes do you see? What people do you see? Okay, now imagine your world cloaked like this in darkness. You can go and open your eyes. It'd be challenging. It'd be difficult. No colors. You couldn't see the faces of those people around you. You couldn't see the people who love you and you love. You couldn't, no sunrise, no sunset, no, you couldn't see the rainfall. You couldn't see the green grass, the blue skies above, no flowers. All you would see would be darkness. It would make it difficult to get around. You'd have to develop other senses. You'd have to figure things out differently other than being guided by sight. You might get lost. You, if no one explained to you where things were and how things were, you might be lost all the time. This, this man, he's born blind in our story. He is He's been born that way. He's never known colors. He's never known sight. He's never experienced the, the world around him by his vision. To him, all the world is black. And so he's consigned to a life of begging in that day because there was no options for a blind person back then. They were constrained to the kindness and, and goodness of others. And so they begged. They likely didn't have any tools like seeing eye dogs. They probably didn't have any kind of means for him to read or understand or comprehend things on his own without people telling him. He'd be at the mercy of the people around him. We don't know what was causing his blindness, but he likely didn't have the necessary rods and cones in your eyes that, that you could see colors and shapes and things. He, he might not even have eyeballs. We have no idea. We just know he was born blind from birth, completely unable to see. His brain never had a category for seeing or comprehending what he saw. If you could imagine that, maybe you know someone who is blind. He lived in utter, utter darkness all the time. And, and this account, it comes right on the heels of another account that, that we've just seen in John chapter 8. And, and the apostle John, he, he selects things. He hasn't selected all the miracles of Jesus. He said, in fact, if he did that, it would fill too many books that the whole world couldn't contain them. But the, the, the accounts that John selects are purposeful. The, the vignettes that we see of, of the life of Jesus are intentional. And so Jesus, in just the preceding pa passage, he has come out of the temple. He has just declared in the temple that he is the light of the world. It was right after, the, at the end of the Feast of Booze, they would light these, these massive, massive candelabras, basically, that were menorahs in the, in the temple grounds, and it would light up the whole city. And they extinguish the lights, and after that, Jesus gets up and he declares, I am the light, I'll never go out, I'm the light of the world. And then they kick him out of the temple. They pick up stones and try to stone him. And Jesus leaves the temple. And then the very first thing that John tells us that he does is Jesus deliberately goes to someone who's blind. Now, now, this is not a throwaway account. This isn't just an account that's, oh, it's a cool story that Jesus makes the blind to see. But this story, like every other account in the Gospel of John, whenever Jesus does something physically, it's meant to point to a deeper spiritual reality. They're an object lesson, if you will. And so this really is an object lesson on the fact that Jesus came as the light of the world to give sight to the blind. And not just physically blind, but those who are spiritually 
blind. And there's at least four truths that we're going to see from this passage. And, and the first truth that we see right away in this passage is what mankind needs. We see what mankind needs. Jesus looks and he sees this man who was blind from birth. Jesus takes notice of this man. This, this man, we don't, we don't hear him crying out to Jesus. We don't hear him calling out. We don't, we don't see him saying, you know, son of David, have mercy on me like blind Bartimaeus. We don't, we don't even know if this guy even has any idea of who Jesus is or what Jesus can do. And in fact, he, we see that he, he doesn't because he develops in his understanding of who Jesus is. Because to begin with, he has no idea who this man was. And yet after his eyes are open, he begins to see. And what this man needed was he needed someone to make him able to see. He couldn't do that on his own. He was completely helpless. He was blind since birth. Now, in the Old Testament, there's never one story. It's kind of shocking, actually. There's not one story in the entire Old Testament of anyone blind from birth being given sight. And yet the prophet Isaiah told of of a day when the Messiah would come. And when the Messiah comes, he'll give sight to the blind. And, and this is, is really, I believe, the only account in, in, uh, of anyone prior to this giving sight to someone who was blind since birth. This man was desperate. He needed someone to give him sight. He was blind. He saw this man blind from birth. And what he needed was Jesus to take the initiative. Now, John is, is not just setting this up as an example of the fact that Jesus was kind to people who had physical ailments. No, he was, but that was to demonstrate the true reality of who he is. You see, Jesus is the one who takes initiative. Jesus is the one who, who comes upon us in our helpless estate. Jesus is the one who notices sinful mankind, who sees the condition of sinful mankind, and comes and opens up blind eyes. And that is what we need Mankind needed Jesus to take the initiative. We need Jesus to draw near. We are like this blind man. We can't see Jesus on our own. We're, we are completely blinded by sin. We are, we're living in darkness. There's, there's several different metaphors that are used throughout the New Testament. How it says we are, we are born into this kingdom of darkness, and yet Jesus, he comes and he takes us and he plucks us out of this kingdom of darkness and brings us into his light. But what we need is to see. And without seeing, without Jesus coming and taking initiative, there's no chance for us to respond. Now, after Jesus notices this man who's born blind, the disciples come to him, and they come to him with a question. And it's kind of a perplexing question, especially for people today. They they had this notion that somehow the man was blind, perhaps because he sinned in the womb. Or, Or maybe it's because his parents sinned. Or maybe this happened for some reason because they believe that, that all sickness was a result of sin. And, and Jesus, he dispels that notion right away. Yes, at times, we, we've seen in other places in the New Testament. And in fact, after Jesus healed the paralytic in John 5, 14, um, he, he goes back to the paralytic and says, Hey, don't, don't sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. So there is a correlation. But yet, we can't make a one-to-one connection here. And Jesus says, No, that, that's not the point. What you need to see is that all mankind is blind. And this man was born blind so that you could see the works of Jesus because that's what we need. We, we need to see the works of Jesus. We need to see that we require Jesus to make us able to see. So Jesus makes it clear. He says, no, I was neither this man that sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. 
This is nothing to do. Don't, don't jump to human conclusions and try to figure out the, the, why God has ordained different things. Says, that's not up to us to figure those things out. What we need to see is the need of this man. And what we need to see is that God can work all things together for his good. For, the, for his glory, for the good of those he is working in. It says God intended to bring about something good from this bad thing. He had a greater purpose in mind. This, this man's blindness is so that God's works might be displayed in him. And before you begin to think, well, that's kind of cruel, isn't it? That, that God would allow this man to be born blind so that later he could, he could demonstrate the works of Jesus. So he could demonstrate what he came to do. But let me ask you, if this man was sighted his entire life and never knew that he was spiritually blind and never knew that he needed to see Jesus, wouldn't that be more cruel? So in fact, it was actually the mercy of God to allow this man to be blind so that he could make the man see so that he would understand that he needed Jesus. Sometimes in our life, God brings difficult circumstances, allows difficult circumstances so that we can see our need for Jesus. And so that we can see that we, we need him to give us sight. We need him to rescue us so that we won't trust in our own abilities. We won't trust in our own ability to see. So this man was born blind that he might see Jesus as Messiah and so that others might see and know Jesus to receive spiritual sight as well. You see, the physical blindness here is meant to point to a need for spiritual sight. Because what we need most is to be healed from our spiritual blindness. But the question for us today is, is do you know? Do you know if, if you have not responded to Jesus, if you've not placed your faith in him, do you know that you're blind? Do you know what you can't see? In verses 4 to 8, we see what Jesus was sent to do. Not, not only do we see what mankind needs to see, we see what Jesus was sent to do. Jesus says, I was sent to do the works of him who sent me. Now, he doesn't say I there. He actually says we. He says we must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. You see, see, Jesus was sent to do some work. Jesus was sent to do the work of revealing the Father. Jesus was sent to do the work of opening up blind eyes so that people might see, so that people might respond to him in faith then and be saved. But he didn't just say I must do the works. He says we must do the works. And he says, well, it's still daytime. Now, to an extent, he's probably talking about while he was on the earth. Yet, when he says we, he's obviously talking about something more here. And, and so there, there's an opportunity to work the works of Jesus with him. To be a part of God opening up blind eyes. To be a part of the work that Jesus came to do. To open blind eyes so that people might see the truth that we need to see him. The existence of human suffering around us, it's a call to work the works of God. And Jesus came that God's works might be manifest. He tells his disciples, as long as I am the world, I am the light of the world. Now, it's interesting. Think, look at what he's done so far. He's gone to the blind man. He's answered a question and said, this is not what you think. You, you, you don't have it all figured out. This is not because he sinned or his parents sinned. This is so that God's works might be displayed. God has a greater purpose in mind through suffering, and we have a part to play in bringing the truth of God's word. But, but he's setting things up because he wants the people to see that the whole reason he's about to do this miracle is to demonstrate that he's the light of the world. 
And so he says in verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And then look in verse 6. He says, having said these things, he spat on the ground. He made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. That must have seemed pretty weird, right? We, we don't know exactly why he spits on the ground. He makes mud. We don't know why he did that little object lesson. I have no idea what the blind man was thinking. We're not told. Because the blind man, up until now, he has no idea what's happening. Maybe he heard Jesus draw near and he's trying to figure things out. Maybe he hears Jesus spit. You might think that's a little strange if you're blind. You hear somebody spitting in front of you, saying that they're the light of the world. And then, and then you're like, what are they doing? You can hear them messing around. And then all of a sudden, they're touching you with mud. And yet, this man is intrigued, and he's listening. And Jesus commands him, he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Maybe, maybe Jesus did that to demonstrate that, that he could use what people thought of as unclean to make all things clean. Maybe it was like when God formed man from, from the clay in Genesis. Maybe Jesus was giving an object lesson to say, look, this man's eyes are not right. I'm going to recreate them. So maybe he did that. We don't, we don't know. Whatever Jesus intended by those things, it was clear that what Jesus intended to do was to give the man sight. That was what his purpose was. He was the one who must create sight. And that's true for us spiritually as well. And so he sends the man. And John takes pains to say he went to the pool of Siloam. And that pool of Siloam, it means sent. And, and maybe that's to indicate that, that we have to wash in, in the pool of the sent one. And so Jesus sent him to the pool of Siloam to wash, and he came back seeing. And he must have been ecstatic. Could you imagine? We put your hands over your eyes earlier. Could you imagine if you lived your whole life like that? And then you go and you wash, and you're thinking, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know what I'm doing this for, but i got to get this mud off. That was weird. And, and, and your mind is mixed. He probably didn't have perfect faith, but he was hopeful, and yet probably had some doubts as well. And can you imagine after he washes and he comes up, he had eyes that could see, and he'd never seen before. His brain would be just overwhelmed. He'd never been able to process those things before, and now he was seeing colors and shapes and sights and what people looked like, what the temple grounds looked like, what, what Jerusalem looked like, and, and he saw the sun, and he saw the, the clouds and, and the sky. He came back seeing. It made a noticeable difference in the man's life immediately. It says he goes back and it says his neighbors and those who would seen him before as a beggar, they were saying, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? It made a big difference in his life. He was completely different. I can imagine he must have had a smile plastered on his face because now he could see. I can imagine this was not some stoic man any longer. He was probably filled with excitement, with joy, with anticipation. He probably also wanted to meet Jesus. The funny thing is, he's, he's, he hasn't even seen Jesus yet. This man came up, didn't introduce himself, just put mud on his eyes, says, go and wash. He does that. He probably hears that it's Jesus. He comes back, and, 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 and he's unrecognizable. His neighbors and those who've seen him before, they, they were shocked. How could it be? There's such a huge transformation in this man's life. How could that be? It's impossible. And, and, and for those who God makes new, who God gives sight spiritually, who God makes new, there is a transformation that takes place, and sometimes it's unrecognizable. How can that be? They once were like this, and now they've changed. They're different. How can that be? How does that happen? Oh, that comes because Jesus gives sight. Jesus makes new. Jesus recreates. 
And there's a transformation that's happened. And, and, I, and I love it. There's some, some comedy here. The neighbors, and everybody's seen him before. They were saying, isn't this a man who should sit and beg? And some said, some of his neighbors, the people who knew him, they said, yeah, sure, it's him. And others said, no, but he looks like, he looks like him. He, he, maybe he's his twin. He's his doppelganger, you know? And it says he kept saying, I love that. He kept saying, I am the man. Like, why are you guys debating about this? I am that guy. I used to be blind. Now I see. And his work of making the blind to see, it says something about Jesus. It says something about Jesus, doesn't it? You see, no one before had ever done this. What giving the blind sight says about Jesus is what John wants us to see in this passage. He wants us to see what giving the blind sight says about Jesus. So they, they, everybody's asking him in verse 10. Everybody's saying, well, how, how are your eyes opened? And he says, well, this man called Jesus, he took mud and he anointed my eyes. He doesn't know who Jesus is yet. This, this man called Jesus, he took mud, he, he anointed my eyes. He says, go and wash. And I did that and I got my sight back. He doesn't know how it happened. But he knows that there's something special about Jesus, that Jesus has the ability to anoint, to give sight. And so they asked him, they said, where is he? And he said, I don't know. Of course he didn't know. He'd never seen the man before. I don't know. So they didn't know what to do. So look in verse 13. They bring him to the Pharisees, the man had formerly been blind. Now John introduces another key point. Jesus did this, and I think for a reason, on the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath was a day when... They were supposed to keep holy and not do any work. And, and, and the Bible doesn't give explicit directions about what that means. Just keep the Sabbath holy, honor God, not, don't do work on that day. And, and so what the Jews had done is they created all kinds of rules and regulations. They had over 39 different rules about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath day. And one of those things was you weren't allowed to make cakes. You weren't allowed to, to make clay. Maybe that's why Jesus did this making of mud, to intentionally provoke them. I don't know. To show that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. But the Pharisees, they're bothered. And so because of that, they say, well, well how, how, how exactly this happened? And he tells them the story all over again. So this is, the, this is the third time now. So he says, he put mud in my eyes and I washed and I see. And they say, well, he, he can't be from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. You know, only good people keep the Sabbath. And if, and if you don't keep the Sabbath, then you're not good. So if you're not good, you can't be from God. The problem is, is that they were actually using their rules, their regulations, their requirements. They weren't judging things by God's standards. And that's true for people today. People trust their own rules and regulations to be clean, to come before God, to be acceptable. And yet trusting rules and regulations, trusting what we do, trusting what we can do to keep ourselves holy and pure, um, that leaves us blind. We're going to see this contrast between the blind man who sees and and these Pharisees who claim to see and and are blinded by trusting in their own abilities. They didn't stop to consider the purpose of the Sabbath was restorative, the fact that this man had his sight restored on the Sabbath. But they couldn't ignore what he did, and, 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 and they asked questions so other people at the same time were saying, well, well, how can a man who's a sinner, how can they do such signs? And it says there was division among them. They were confused. And, and so then they, they're confused. And so there's kind of a cop out. And they said, well, well, what do you say about him to the blind man? 
And, and I love the testimony here that we see. This, this man, he goes from seeing that this man called Jesus, he did something amazing. He anointed my eyes. And, and then he, he starts to see, once his eyes are open, and not only sees who Jesus is, he begins to see that Jesus isn't just a man. He must be a prophet. And, and then we see this development. Now, he's not just a man. He's, he's a prophet. And then he comes later to see that he's much more than that. And so the man didn't hesitate. He says, he's a prophet at least. And that was the highest category he had at the moment because prophets were sent by God. So who knows, this man had to have been sent by God. And they still didn't believe him, even though his neighbors and he were testifying. So they're like, bring us your parents. And so his parents come. And, and, and I can't imagine his parents didn't understand or know what happened because I imagine this man went right back to his house and told his parents what had happened. And we kind of have an illusion about that because just John explains that they probably knew more, but they weren't saying it because they were afraid. And so he asked the parents. And the parents say, yeah, that's our son. He was born blind. We know that. We have no idea what happened to him. You ask him. And then John explains in verse 22, he says, his parents said those things because they feared the Jews, because the Jews had already agreed that if anybody should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. There was a test that his parents experienced and failed. You see, you see they had to say, will we choose to fear God or will we choose to fear man? Will we be acceptable to men, to people? Will we have comfort? Will we... Will we Will we be able to keep what, what's comfortable to us? Or will we profess what we know is true? And so his parents failed. And then they said, well, he's of age. Ask him. And so they call this guy back again in verse 24. I, I love, this guy's got to be tired by this by now. And he's, he's already just, he, he was exuberant at first. And he was expecting everybody to say, well, wow, who is this Jesus? And, and so he keeps telling this story. And they seem to not get it. And then I love the interaction between the two of them, between, between these groups. And when they say in verse 24, give glory to God, we know this man is a sinner. What they, what they don't mean is, oh, glorify God because he ultimately did work. No, what they're saying in effect is, give glory to God, tell the truth. Tell the truth because we know the truth. This man's really a sinner. And he says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. He, he stood up. He gave his testimony. He gave a witness in the face of of being kicked out of the synagogue, being threatened with being removed. Now, in that day, the synagogue was the hub of community. It was the place where you accepted. It was a place where you experienced life and worship together. And, and, and so the threat of that was, was very real, to be put out of community. And yet he testified boldly. He says, one thing I know is without, though I was blind, now I see. His life's been completely changed. You can see now. It's made a difference in him. But they were looking for some way to disprove him. So they asked him again, well, how did that happen? Well, maybe, maybe that really did happen because at first they didn't believe that. And so now they hear his parents and they hear him. And okay, maybe that really happened, but, but maybe it really wasn't Jesus doing it. And then they, he tells the story all over again. And he says, why do you want to hear that again? Do, do you want to be his disciples? And I imagine he kind of had a smirk on his face when he did that too. He says, I've already told you, you wouldn't listen. Do you, do you want to be his disciples too? I think he knew the answer. They got pretty upset, didn't they? Look in verse 28, it says they reviled him. It's a very aggressive term, they reviled him. They said, you are his disciple. Oh, so this man has grown in his understanding. He's grown from Jesus being a man to a prophet to a disciple of Jesus. 
He says, but we're disciples of Moses. We follow the laws of Moses. You follow that man. We follow the laws of Moses. God spoke to Moses, but for that man, we don't know where he comes from. They were concerned with theological precision. They were zealous for good behavior, living moral, upright lives. They, these Pharisees, they were at the temple. They worshiped in the synagogue regularly. They probably gave sacrificially, and yet they were blind. How many people today are in that same place? Concerned with theological precision, zealous for good behavior, worshiping regularly, giving sacrificially, and yet valuing the letter of the law and valuing their own performance before God more than trusting in Jesus. And I love this, this response from the blind man. He's bold in the face of reviling. He proceeds to teach them the truth that they already should have known. Look down at verse 30. He says, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. What he's saying is, you don't get it? Really? That's pretty amazing. That's astounding. There's some sarcasm happening here. He opened my eyes. That's never happened before. Isaiah said the eyes would be open when the Messiah comes. He opened my eyes, and you don't know where he comes from? Are you clueless? Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of blind men. It's if man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's proved that he's willing to take a stand for his faith in Jesus, knowing what it might cost him. And he's, he's amazed at the, the evident obstinance and refusal to acknowledge a praying truth of what occurred to him. And then they cast him out. He, he receives, actually, the punishment that his parents feared. They put him out of the synagogue. The greater irony is they, they claimed he was born in sin. They didn't understand that everyone is born of sin. They didn't understand that everyone is born spiritually blind. They were self-righteous. They assumed they understood and that they were sinless. And so they cast this man out, presumably receiving that same excommunication that his parents had feared. And so, but what happens? Is, you know, is he left all alone? This might end like a sad story or they cast him out. You know, is, is, is that the plight of, of those who take a stand for Jesus, that they're rejected by men and then were left alone? Well, no. I, I love this picture. Oh, this, this spiritually blind man who's become, he's been given his sight, he testifies to Jesus, he's cast out, but Jesus doesn't leave him alone. Look in verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, having found him, you see, where the religious leaders cast this man out, Jesus did not. Where they rejected him, Jesus sought him out. Jesus found the man. Maybe, maybe you've been experiencing the rejection of, of mankind. Realize that you are not left alone. Jesus finds you out. He doesn't cast you away. Jesus seeks those who've been cast out and discarded and rejected by society and and then I love that Jesus doesn't leave him in half-truths either. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, in case you're not familiar with that title, that, that title was a direct reference to Daniel. In the book of Daniel in chapter 7, in Daniel 7, 13, Daniel gives a, an account of the vision that he saw. And he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, that with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man came to God, the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve. So this son of man presented to God, and then God gives him dominion over all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve him. And it says, in his dominion, his rule is an everlasting rule, dominion, will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that should not be destroyed. His rule is eternal, this one, this son of man. And Jesus says, do you believe in the son of man? And so this man answers him in verse 36, he says, and who is he, sir, that I might believe? I want to believe, but I don't know who he is yet. Jesus had to open up his eyes and reveal himself and communicate the truth of who he was to this man. But once this man hears, Jesus says, you've seen him, and it's he who's speaking to you. I can imagine the guy's jaw drop. Maybe he, he had recognized Jesus' voice before, and now he sees, oh my goodness, you are the one. And look at his response. He says, Lord, I believe. And it says that he worshiped him. Now, that, that word for worship is, is prostrated. So this man is, is falling on his face, immediately worshiping. He has been born again. He responds. He sees. I believe. He bows down. He goes from understanding that Jesus was a man who seemed to be washed in verse 10. He goes to understanding that Jesus is a prophet in verse 17 to Understanding that Jesus must be sent from God in verse 33 to finally seeing that Jesus is the Son of Man. He truly has received sight because Jesus took the initiative to give him sight. Jesus gives the blind sight to reveal that he's truly the Son of Man. He takes initiative. He's he's sovereign over creation. He's sovereign over this man's ability to see. He's powerful to save and to deliver, and he seeks and saves the blind and the lost. And There's something else that's required to ultimately see. And that's, that's the fourth and the final truth that we'll see in this passage is that is what's required to see. We're going we're gonna to see what's required to see. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. What is he saying here? What he's saying here is in order to see, you have to understand that you're blind. I've told the story before when I was a kid, I used to go and play in tunnels underneath of my neighborhood. They built these tunnels under my neighborhood. They were about six feet around. They were extremely dark. They were several miles long. You'd, you'd get about 500 yards into the tunnel and it was pitch black. You couldn't see a thing. You, 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 you could no longer see the light behind you and you would walk and you would stumble around and we, we went in and I don't know what we were thinking. It was ridiculous. It was not smart. Kids don't do that. Um, we, we went in these tunnels, and we would explore all underneath of the neighborhoods around us. Eventually, they closed the tunnels up with grates. Then we crawled in other ways. But, but that, that was, it was not smart, but we were in these tunnels. And I can imagine, I remember at times thinking, what if life was like this? And you were just walking around these tunnels, and if the whole world was like that? You know, what if the whole world, you have your eyes open, but you can't see a thing, and you're wandering around in the darkness, no ability to see, no light to shine, what would the world seem to you? You would interpret everything differently, right? You would interpret everything around you by very different circumstances. Now, what if the whole world was living in tunnels underneath the ground? No one would know what it meant to see. If there was no light, no one would understand what light is. No one would know the difference, what it would be like to live above ground, right? 
There's been a lot of dystopian novels written like that. And what's required, if you think about it, if you, you were living like that, you wouldn't even know that you were blind, so you wouldn't even know that you needed to see. And yet, Jesus is saying, what you need to know, first of all, is that you're blind, that you're interpreting the whole world wrongly. You're seeing everything badly. You're not, you're not seeing things for the way they really are. You just, but if you don't believe that you're blind, there's no way that you can see to begin with. It requires a confession. It requires a humbling of yourself to say, yes, I'm blind. Yes, I need to see. Jesus, would you make me see? And what he's telling the Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees ask that question, are we also blind? And Jesus said, if you were blind, meaning if you knew you were blind, you wouldn't have any guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You see, they were wandering around in the darkness and they claimed to see. They claim to not need sight. So Jesus says, you're so proud, you can't even humble yourself and see that you need me to see. You need the light of the world. Because if you admitted that you were blind, then I would give you sight. Those who claim to see spiritually on their own, they reveal the guilt of pride. They reveal the fact that they're trusting ultimately their own abilities. And Jesus said, what's necessary is to confess that you have no ability to see, just like this man had no ability to see, and, and to respond, to be washed in his cleansing pool, washed with the blood of Jesus. You need to receive sight by being made alive, responding to him. So, so what are we supposed to do with this passage? I think there's a few things we can, we can learn from this passage, and I think the first thing we need to see is that we need to confess our own blindness. This man knew he was blind. He wasn't, he wasn't pretending. His blindness from birth, it was an outward visible expression of the, of the condition of all of humanity apart from Jesus Christ. We're all blind from birth and our ability to see spiritually in our own. Romans 1, 21, it puts this in a way. It says, our foolish hearts are darkened. And the man had no hope of seeing on his own. So sinful humanity is born into darkness. Unless Jesus delivers. And we have to first say, we, we, we're blind. And then ask him to make us see. But trusting he will. And he's able. And then, and then we see this man. He goes on this journey of faith. He, he goes from seeing Jesus as a man to finally confessing that Jesus is the son of God. And so we don't just confess that we're blind. But we also confess that Jesus is the one who makes us see. And that he is the one who rescues us. He's the one who redeems us. He is the son of man. And then what else do we see in this passage? We see this man, he demonstrates the healing power of Jesus by, by going back. His life is a, is a demonstration of the healing ability of Jesus. His life is a demonstration of the change that Jesus brings. That's how we are meant to live our lives as well. Once Jesus has changed us and made us different, we're meant to show that change, to demonstrate that change, to live out our lives differently as sighted, spiritually sighted individuals. Not still living like we're in darkness. This man demonstrated that he was, he was sighted and it made a difference. And then he also test, he gave testimony with his life. He gave testimony with his life and he gave testimony with his mouth. He didn't bow to the fear of man. He didn't give in to the consequences of telling who Jesus is. 
He was so excited that Jesus is the one who had given him life that he told everyone about it. He stood up to the rulers in his land, to the people most powerful, the people who had influence and authority over him, said, look, I don't care. What I do know is that I was blind and now I see. And he gave a declaration of who Jesus is with words. This, this, this also reveals the, the good news of Jesus. It divides. Those who admit their blindness, their need for Jesus, they acknowledge him and they, they worship him. They're going to receive spiritual life. There is a promise and hope here to receive spiritual life. But those who claim to have no need of Jesus and reject him as light of the world, they remain in the darkness. If you have been given sight, how are you living? Are you living as if you're sighted spiritually? Are you living? Are you giving testimony of that? Are you declaring the goodness of him who called you out of darkness and brought you into his light? Because he wants you to participate together with him in the works that he came to do. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's still day. He's not only given us sight, he's given us an ability to join him in the work that he's doing to give people sight. Let's join him in that. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are the one who gives sight, that you make alive. That you are the one who enlightens blind eyes. Jesus, for all those of us who have had our eyes open. We just want to worship you and give thanks to you and, and express gratitude to you. We want to respond like this man did with worship to you. And Father, for those who are blind today, I pray that you would reveal that, that they are blind, that you would enable them to confess and respond. And Lord, I pray that you would open up their eyes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing. Can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me, caused his pain for me to him to death pursue. Amazing love, how can it be? Thou, my God, should die for me. Amazing love, how can it be? That Thou, my God, should die for me. His Father's throne above, so free, so infinite His grace, emptied Himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race, His mercy all. Immense and free 
Thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. But thine eye diffused quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. Rose went forth, followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? No condemnation now I dread, Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown to Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me?